Well, if you are a Christian, then you probably at times wonder what sort of movement you are a part of. Now, if you're with us this morning, either here in person or maybe you're at home and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I just want to reaffirm how welcome you are to be a part of this community. We've had all historically, all throughout our time, a mixture of people on this journey together, some who know they're committed Christians and some who are curious and exploring. And that's a wonderful thing. We celebrate that. Um, But if you are a Christian, sometimes as you think about the movement that you're a part of and and you look broadly across the United States or you look across the world, you might ask yourself, what kind of a movement am I a part of. Whenever you're part of something that is so broad and so diverse and so multifaceted, this oftentimes becomes the question. In this time when things have been really tumultuous and there's been a lot of deconstruction going on, um, as I've talked with some of you, uh, you've told me stories about the kinds of questions that you've been asked as people in the world are trying to figure out um, really, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of our, the things happening in our society? You've been asked questions about politics. You've been asked questions about race. You've been asked all kinds of questions, uh, questions about, if you're listening to the Mars Hill podcast, you know, Mark Driscoll. You've been asked questions about um, environmentalism. You've been asked questions about science and gender. You've been asked questions about gender. You've been asked questions about the pandemic. You've been asked questions about vaccines. And you feel at times like you're on the spot. You know, what happens for people who uh, are watching the news, you know, they hear something about some Christian somewhere and they want to know more about it because they don't see things the same way. And lo and behold, there you are, the Christian that they know right? And so they come to you to ask the question, and you end up feeling overwhelmed at times because you're supposed to be able to justify and answer all these questions coming from all different sides. And then sometimes you even feel a little bit of shame because you might not agree with what's being asked or what is being said that others believe, and now you're expected to sort of Defend it. And in this season, when there's been, like I say, this sort of tumult and this deconstruction, those questions at times are piling up and they're weighing you down. And you're beginning to ask yourself at times, what kind of a movement am I a part of? And the whole thing starts to feel like maybe it's going to topple. I've had so many conversations with people who are really just struggling with church. They may say say something like, I love Jesus, that I'm still convicted of, um, but I'm really struggling with the church. And um, they're wrestling through uh, what that means. And others may even be saying, I'm having trouble with Jesus, This, this whole season of deconstruction has gotten to the point where I'm really asking some profound questions about what I believe and some things that I thought I took for granted, uh, I'm now asking again. Well, in all of that process, it's extremely important for us to go to the Lord and ask God what he says about the movement that we're a part of, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what matters most. And 
Thank God, this morning, as we're looking in Zechariah, moving on through this book, we have the third vision of Zechariah. And in this vision, Zechariah zooms out and he focuses on the big picture and what really is God doing in the world? What really is God doing in the world? And what does that mean for my life? Where I find myself in the relationships that I find myself in. And this is such an important question for us to be seeking an answer to on a day like this and a day, you know, like today and a season like we're in. Because with all the voices that uh, are defining Christianity and then with our own doubts that end up wrapped up in that process, we have to come back to the voice of God. We have to come back to the voice of God and let him tell us what he's doing in the world. And at the end of the day, it's God's perspective that matters the most. And we are most helped when we align our thinking with God's thinking. So join me as we look at the passage today. We're going we're gonna to do a couple of things. We're going to look through this passage in Zechariah. And then what I'd like to do is try to clear up a kind of a misconception about what it means to go out into the world to see the kingdom of God expanding. I want to try to clear up a misconception about that. And then, as we've been doing all throughout this series, I'd like to invite you to one small step. To one small step that I think will be extremely important from a spiritual standpoint. All right, so let's, let's jump into the text. The text we're looking at today is Zechariah 2, verses 1 through 13. And as we've been going through the book of Zechariah, I'm hoping that the background of the stories begin to settle a little bit for you. You're starting to, to kind of see, you know, people have said for a long time, Zechariah is one of the most difficult books. And it is a difficult book. And we're, we've hit some difficult passages already, and, and we're headed for some other ones that are going to be extremely challenging. Uh, it all becomes much more difficult if you don't have a conception of what's going on in the larger picture. So let me just refresh uh, briefly our, our memory of what's happening here. Uh, and I hope this background uh, is starting to settle in. So you remember, Israel is back in the promised land after being exiled due to this ongoing generational inability to live according to the ways and the commands of God, right? So they were supposed to be the model community uh, the community that would manifest to the world God's vision and dream for community and that others would be drawn in as a result of that. Um, now, there's nothing special about them that they were particularly disobedient. This is the story of all of humanity. All of us, as the book of Romans put it, sin and fall short of the glory of God. We, we, none of us is capable of living into the glorious vision that God has given us for life. And so there's this season of discipline that the Israelites go through. And for Judah, one particular tribe, it lasts 70 years. And then the people come back to the land. And the expectation is that they will rebuild what they had lost. In particular, that they'll rebuild the temple. And if you remember, we've been talking about the temple as the presence of God in the midst of the people. We'll see that again today in the passage as we go through it. But the key thing to remember about the temple and why it's so 
important for them to rebuild the temple is because the temple is the house of the Lord. It's where the Lord dwells most fully on earth in the Old Testament season. And for them, it is about being close to God. We talked about the importance of proximity. We'll come back to that again, proximity to the Lord. Now, when we pick up the story with Zechariah, what's going on is it's been about 20 years, almost 20 years since they've been back in the land. And they have very little to show for this time they've spent back in the land. There's no temple yet. And there's no wall around. And at first it was because the authorities, the governing, the local authorities in that region restricted them. But then they sort of settled into this apathy and this lack of focus. And they're stuck in a kind of a malaise And they're not getting to the crucial, critical, important work of rebuilding the temple, of putting God back at the center of their community. So God sends Zechariah, the prophet, to call them to this crucial, critical, important work, to encourage them, to fortify them, to stir them up, to get them going, to direct the work of building the temple so that they reprioritize the presence of God in their midst. The third vision is part of that encouragement. So look with me in chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna gloss a little bit as we go so that you understand hopefully what's happening here. Zechariah says, and I lifted my eyes. This is how all these visions, there's going to be eight of these visions. This is the third one. He starts almost everyone with this, this, this framework. I lifted my eyes. There were these night visions. God came and visited him and he saw. And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now there's nothing particular about this measuring line concept. This is Well, it means a measuring line. He was about to measure something. Well, what's he going to measure? Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward. We'll see this sort of the boss angel to meet him and said to him, run, say to the young man, Zechariah, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. So you remember they're back in the land, but, you know, it's nothing like what they would have expected. You know, they're living this sort of depleted existence. And the angel comes and paints this picture of a Jerusalem that is going to be massive, filled with a multitude of people and all kinds of riches represented in the livestock. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. Now, they didn't have a protective wall around Jerusalem yet. And some of the energy that should have been focused on temple building was going into the building of the wall to protect themselves. Now, God is saying, look, you don't need to worry about the the wall. I'm going to be the, the wall of fire around you to protect you. You focus on rebuilding my temple. You focus on my presence in your midst. And he goes on to say, and I will be the glory in her midst. Jerusalem's midst. Verse six. 
Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. So Israel had been carried away to the north. And once this vision comes of this massive Jerusalem, and then they realize the state they're in, some are still in exile, and they haven't, taken, they haven't decided to come back yet and help the process. Zechariah says, he says, like, get up. Get up from where you are and come back home. Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion. Now, Zion is a word for Jerusalem that always have a, has a particular emphasis on the temple and the presence of God. You will dwell with the daughter of, but you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, come back to Zion, he's saying. Verse 8, for thus said the Lord of hosts, after uh, his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The Lord's going to protect his people. Behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me, the angel. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am come. Now this is God speaking, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst. This is the third reference to his being in their midst. And every time you think of that, think temple. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land. And will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord. For he has roused himself. What a, what a powerful image. The Lord has roused himself. From his holy dwelling. In other words, this passage has God as the initiator and the executor of the plan. God has roused himself then to rouse Zechariah, who will rouse the people of Israel to the work of building the temple. All right, let's unpack that together. Uh, I want to clear up a misconception and then, like I said, give you one, invite you into one small step. If you are a believer, you have a, a natural impulse to bring others into the faith. I know that because it's baked into the story of God and it's baked in to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's baked into the person of Jesus Christ and his reason for coming into the world. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, there is something deep inside of you that wants to bring others into the faith. And we call this evangelism, simply. It's a story of the Bible. It's a story of Jesus. It's a story of the gospel. Um, you might be ignoring that impulse. We get really good at ignoring that impulse that's, that's there, resident inside of us. We cover it over with all kinds of things. Um, and during the pandemic, it's, it's probably even easier to cover over because we're, we're huddled in our rooms or we're on Zoom and we're not going to work and, and all of that. But it's there nonetheless. Because it's, it's part of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the way that we often view this impulse beating inside of us, uh, is it looks something like this. We, we are to go out 
and find people to bring them into the movement that we're a part of. And as I said in my introduction, right now that sometimes feels a little bit difficult because in some cases we feel a little bit confused about what we're inviting people into and maybe especially in a place like where we live that is pretty secular um, and has a lower number of Christians than other places, you know, we, we even feel more reluctant to do this work of inviting. You know, here we are, this sort of beleaguered, small community within a much larger, uh, loud, secular society. Why would anybody want to come and be a part of this movement? Why would anybody want to come and be a part of this beleaguered community? You know, and, and you all are wonderful people just looking at you today. But, you know, I mean, it's not like we're incredibly impressive, right? Why would, and, and the pastor looks funny or whatever you, you know, why would I want to invite people to uh, this community? And so we have this sort of, this turmoil going on inside of us as we re- wrestle through all of those forces when we think about uh, evangelism, we think about reaching out to others. But the thing about this passage that is so interesting to me and so potentially powerful for us as human beings is that it takes that notion, that notion that we're the people that go out and we have to figure out a way to bring people in, it takes that notion and turns it on its head. It says that actually the kingdom itself is in the process of expanding. Jerusalem is growing until it can no longer be measured, right? That's the point. They they can't measure Jerusalem because it can become so large. You don't merely bring people into Jerusalem. Jerusalem expands to encompass more and more land and more and more people from more and more nations, the diversity piece of it, and even more and more livestock, which we don't find quite as interesting. Although when I was in Costa Rica, I did get to milk a cow. And it was awesome. And so I'm much more excited about this concept than I would have been. They almost didn't let me back into the country because, you know, I had to say that I was next to, have, have you touched any livestock? And I said, well, I actually have. I milked a cow. The guy said, well, it'll be okay. And let me in. All right, I want you to see how radical this, this shift is. If you think of yourself as this little person just sort of going out and somehow you got to do it all and bring people into the kingdom, that's one way to look at it. What this is telling us is that actually, no, the kingdom is expanding and you're just, a, you're just telling people what's going to happen already and letting them know what is inevitable in the future and even now. And I want us to see how radical this is. Um, we're not merely saying to people, hey, you know, you want to try this way of living? It's really cool. You know, you might feel better, right? Which is sometimes how we think about the work of evangelism. The work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. No, the motivation is that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming, and it's glorious, and it's inevitable. The kingdom is coming, it's glorious, and it's inevitable. And the good news 
is that you can be a part of it right now through Jesus Christ. See, we'll jump ahead in the story. Jesus comes, he destroys the temple because he's essentially saying, now I'm the presence of God in the world. And let me deal with that sin problem that keeps you from being with God, from proximity to God. So he goes onto the cross. He dies an atoning sacrifice for sin, makes possible for sinners to be reconciled to God. He is the presence of God and the one who brings us close to God so that we can be part of the kingdom right now. You say, well, why is it such a mess? And where's it going? It's coming That's what this passage says. The kingdom is coming in all of its fullness, but it hasn't come yet, which means still there's a possibility for more people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and to become part of the kingdom that's inevitably coming. That Jerusalem will ultimately expand to encompass all. It's not just a neat idea that you're inviting people to try out which is sometimes how we think about it. It's inevitability. The testimony of Zechariah in this passage and really the entire Bible is, is this is what's happening. And as human beings, we can choose to join in or we can choose to try to resist it. But at the end of the day, neither of those options has any impact on what's going to happen because it's coming. The kingdom of God is expanding and it's growing. And it's adding. And people from all nations. And covering the earth. And all the resources like the livestock that are part of that. The work of evangelism is rooted in the fact that the kingdom itself is expanding. Inevitably and relentlessly. This is the important principle. Now I wish I had more time even to go into how does that change your mindset? from this sort of small, beleaguered person trying to sell something that you're not even sure you really believe in, you know, and you're struggling, to, oh my goodness, this is happening. This is happening. Right? Zechariah is about putting confidence and steel into the people of Israel so they can get about the business that they've been called to do, building the temple and, as we'll see, expanding the kingdom. Now I want to jump to this passage at the very end because it, at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21, I, I read this a lot um, and there's a reason. Um, this is sort of the, this is, so, so John the Apostle has a vision from God of the Jerusalem in the end times. So, so you have it in Zechariah here, but then you have it further, uh, more developed in John, in the book of, with John in the book of Revelation. And I want to take a minute to read it. And I went back and forth on whether I should read this. um, But ultimately I decided to. And the reason I decided to read it is because um, I think that one of our biggest problems as Christians is that we really have a hard time seeing the real, real. What's really happening eternally with this world. And we are so wrapped up in the moment And then that begins to shape everything and how we think about the world, how we think about ourselves. And we just have to really fight hard. And this is what so much of the Bible is about, is to get our minds, to get our heads with a heavenly perspective. 
So we really see, now in this passage that I'm going to read, which describes the New Jerusalem, there's all kinds of metaphor and imagery, and I don't want you to get wrapped up in it. I want you to hear it as basically saying, look, when the new heaven, when the kingdom expands into its fullness, when the new heaven and the new earth is here with us, uh, it's going to be awesome in all kinds of different ways. And that's why the, the, the crazy language and the metaphors and the symbols are just basically trying to say, trying to say to you, look, and it's going to be awesome in this way, and it's going to be awesome in this way, and this way, and this way, and your job is to get your, try to get your head so wrapped around that, that it utterly transforms the way that you live in this moment. So this is the vision that John has, Revelation 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels, and I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Just close your eyes and listen. Let it roll over you. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. Whenever you hear that, you're thinking the Mount of Zion. This is, this is where the temple is. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Close your eyes. Imagine all of this. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And, and the gate on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates try to imagine the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and then multiply it times infinity and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city so we got to upgrade in measuring rods now it's gold and it's gates and walls the city lies four square its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. And now listen to this. Its length and width and height are all equal. Why? Because it's a cube, just like the holy of holies in the temple. But now it's expanded to cover the whole earth. The whole earth is the holy of holies. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper. While the city was pure gold, like clear glass. I don't even know what that is. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day because there'll be nothing to, to, to defend it from. And there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, thankfully, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, which means we got to get busy with evangelism, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
church, this is happening. This is coming. This is the reality of the world that we inhabit. And this is what you're inviting people into. I don't know all the things the world is saying about the movement you're a part of, but I do know what God says. And I'm pretty sure what he says is what matters and it's what we should seek to order our lives by, to align our thinking with. So the call to reach out, to invite others into the kingdom isn't merely just you sort of in a whimpering voice trying to say, hey, come and be like this because it's nice and it'll help you and your life will be better. Oftentimes, actually, when you align yourself with the kingdom, right now, things get harder. That's just true. Jesus said, follow, take up your cross and follow me. That's the reality. But I, I think deep down, all human beings would rather be part of something that is uncomfortable and true than something that is comfortable but false. Right? And so this is the invitation that we have. And even if it's temporarily uncomfortable, ultimately, it is all of this. It is the expansion of the kingdom. So that's the misconception uh, that I wanted to clear up. We oftentimes get these things in the, in the wrong configuration. The kingdom is expanding. And what does that mean for you? What small tep- step excuse me, are you being invited to take this morning? And each week we're attempting to make clear one small step um, for you to take. And Zechariah is about small steps. The rebuilding of the temple. When they built the temple, it was actually kind of a lame temple that they rebuilt. And some of the older people who remember, remember the, the, the previous temple started crying because they were like, is that it? But it was a token. It was a small thing. It was a token for what would then come in the future. Uh, and so the small things that we do, uh, the small steps that we take are these tokens for what God is doing in the future. All right, remember the principle we keep repeating, proximity to God is everything. Three times in today's passage, the Lord celebrated that upon their faithful rebuilding of the temple, he would be in their midst. Three times we've heard that. Um, King David talks about this in a beautiful way, proximity. Psalm 27, four. One thing I ask the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. King David knew that this was the core of what, the, the deepest longing of all human beings was to be in the presence of God. And we've been saying that, but today there's an added element to this proximity to God thing. As the people of God finish the temple and draw near to God, they're not alone. Many nations shall join them and shall join themselves to the Lord and shall be his people, it says. So paradoxically, this is the part that's really cool about this passage. Their movement towards God is also their movement out into the world as the kingdom grows and expands. Do you see that? They're moving towards God to to be close to the Lord, but the kingdom is expanding at the same time. Both things happening in the opposite direction. And there's a principle in in here for us because it happens on the cosmic scale, right? People will come into the kingdom and then the kingdom grows and that's the big story of the Bible. That's the story that we read in the book of Revelation. But eventually, and eventually it'll take over the whole world. That's the cosmic story. But that story gets reflected in our lives in, in small and, and beautiful and wonderful ways. We get to mirror that story. As we draw near to God, we find that God is drawing others to himself. 
And that as we're filled with the presence of the Lord in our lives, that is what makes us effective in joining others to the Lord. As we're filled with the presence of God in our lives, that's what makes us effective in joining others to the Lord. To make it really concrete, if you want to be an effective evangelist, draw near to God. That's really what it is. If you want the kingdom to expand in your sphere of influence, build the temple at the center of your life. If you want the kingdom to expand in your sphere of influence, build the temple at the center of your life. Why did the Israelites fail to build the temple? Well, it's the same reason we don't draw near to God. They were intimidated by the people and the culture around them, so they had fear issues. And they, they chose to build the wall instead of the temple. If you want to go to the next slide, we'll put these up. They chose to build the wall instead of the temple, so they had self, self-preservation situation. And they chose to build paneled houses instead of the temple. So they chose comfort instead of building the temple. So fear, self-preservation, and comfort were all at work in them, just like they are in us. So Zechariah says to them, and he's saying to us, up, up. Escape to Zion, the place where God is. Don't worry about the threats of the world around you. I'm sovereign over all people, God says. Don't worry about building the wall for your protection. All that energy that you use to try to protect yourself from the things of the world that only God can actually protect you from. He said, just let, let me, I'll build the wall of fire around you. You focus on pursuing me, building the temple. Don't worry about building your paneled houses. Come to me and I'll give you what you need. So choose presence with God over comfort, right? Maybe that helps us get up a little earlier in the morning or stay up a little late at night so we can can be with the Lord a longer period of time. Prioritize drawing close to me, God says, focusing on my presence, seeking my presence. So here's the small step. Go in to go out. Go in to go out. Draw near to God in order to impact the people around you. What the world needs more than anything is the most fired up version of you. Right? Who's been on the mountaintop and is now coming back down glowing like Moses. Because you have seen the Lord. You've been in the temple. You sought first to be in proximity to God. To seek the face of the Lord. And that is changing you. And firing you up. And now you can get up and go. And be a part of the kingdom expansion. So how do you do that? You you build the temple. And, And in the New Testament, you know, the temple becomes Jesus. And then the church And so to get fired up for the Lord, which is going to impact the way you move out into the world, the expansion of the kingdom, you just do these little small things that were given in the New Testament. You fellowship, you worship, you pray, you get in the word. That's what it tells us in in the book of Acts. Those are the means by which we draw close to God. And, and, And as we draw close, we become filled so that we can go out into the world. You go in to go out. Lord, help us. Help us Help us pursue you. Let, help us to make pursuit of you the first priority in our lives. And then send us out for your glory and for the blessing 
of those who do not yet have a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.